we're diving in today to the middle of chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. Um, and we are just kind of finishing out this book where Paul has been writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, and challenging Timothy to fan into flame the, the faith and the gift and the, and the mission that he has been given by the Lord. And uh, we, he's not only talking to Timothy, though, he's also talking to the church. And he's talking to us, and he's talking to all those who follow Christ, that this is what we're called to, and he's going to drive that home even further today as he uh, exhorts Timothy to fulfill his ministry and, uh, and how that applies to us as well. So um, this week, I was reading an article on uh, retirement, and um, I, I, know, I know you're like, Mike, you're way too young to be reading about retirement. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, but I was reading this article about retirement, and this this, uh, it was like an interview kind of thing, and this one uh, lady uh, was, you know, kind of thinking about retirement, looking forward to it, and she asked a friend of hers who was a little bit further along in the process, who was already in that phase of life, she said, so, so what's, what's retirement really like? Like, tell me, what's it really like? And her friend said, well, it's, it's a whole lot less money and a whole lot more husband. Now, I'm not sure that was supposed to be encouraging or discouraging. I don't know exactly what that meant, but, but that was her synopsis of uh, retirement. And and, you know, as, as people who have a, a lifespan that eventually uh, comes to an end, we ought to be thinking about that day when we're no longer going to be able to work and what that looks like. Courtney and I just sat down with our financial planner recently, and we're talking through what's going to look like when we get to that phase where we can no longer work to support ourselves. And, and we all need to do that. Uh, but as Christians, we need to do that differently. Okay? Uh, the Bible looks at retirement very differently than what our culture looks at retirement. Nowhere... Uh, in the Bible, does God say there's ever a stage in our life uh, where we completely cease from all work and just totally indulge our own comforts and desires? Um, we don't see that in Scripture. Uh, yes, we might retire from a career. We might retire from you know, a work week uh, at some point, and that's fine. Um, but we never retire from being a Christian, right, from serving the Lord. And, from, and really, for Christians, retirement should really be not so much retiring as repurposing, all right? Re- redefining how we use our time to use even more time and more gifts and more resources to serve the Lord and to serve his church because he's called us to that even to the end of our days. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying retirement as well, right? So it's okay to, you know, have a little bit extra time with your spouse, enjoy your hobby, go on some trips, like all that's great, nothing wrong with that, but that's not the purpose, Because the purpose of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ is never to simply just indulge ourselves. It's always to serve the Lord, to serve his kingdom, and to glorify his name. And we can do that in our 20s, and in our 40s, and in our 60s, and in our 70s. And if God gives you more, all of that time. Okay? And we have some wonderful examples of this right here in our own church. I was just thinking through this this week, like, we have Phil and Joe McCullough. Now, some of you know them, some of you don't, but Phil, uh, they've been retired for a number of years, and Phil still faithfully serves as one of our elders here at Harvest, putting in a lot of time uh, discipling and, and leading a small group and leading our church in those ways. His wife, Joe, is the leader of our prayer team, um, and they're just continually just pouring themselves out for the Lord and for his kingdom. Um, I was thinking about Don Fick, for those of you who are here in the early days of Harvest. Uh, he was one of our earliest core group members in his 70s, and he was a widower, and he just literally poured out his final years into a church plant. <sighs> I wasn't going to do that. With a whole bunch of little punk kids that were trying to, like, do something for the Lord. 
And he invested himself in this literally until his last days. And I could go on the list. We have thought about the Jeffreys and the Griders and the Cops and the Spiroses and the Woods and the Khalils and the Dundons and Miss Jeanette and Miss Mary and Miss Judy and like all these people who are, they're here week in and week out serving. And if I missed you, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to leave you out. Like if you're retired and you're serving our church, praise you or pray, bless you and praise the Lord for you. This is what we're looking for, though. This is what Paul's talking about here, right? That we keep going. These are examples of how retirement doesn't mean stop serving. It just means serve differently. And it might, you might not do what you used to do, right? Like, you, you might not be down on the floor with the kids in the nursery anymore, and that's cool. Like, but, like, there's something for us all to be doing and serving the Lord. As long as God has you here, as long as he's giving you breath, he still has work for you to do for the kingdom. And that's what Paul's driving home with Timothy here today. And that should be precisely our focus. To fulfill my ministry and finish strong, I must focus on future glory. To fulfill my ministry and finish strong, I must focus on future glory. So with that in mind, take a look at verse 5. Let's pick it up there. It says, as for you, Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And that's the phrase I want to zero in on this for this first point this morning, fulfill your ministry. So he starts off with Timothy, he says, as for you, not like those false teachers we were just talking about in the last couple of weeks, but as for you, Timothy, he says, always be. Now that little word be there is like really important. Notice he doesn't say always do. He doesn't say always do this and do this and do this and do this. He says always be. Because God is calling every follower of his to be something in the kingdom. You're not just a worker. You're not just a list of tasks to God. He has an identity. He has a role. He has a place for you to be someone in his kingdom and in his service. And he's calling you to fulfill that whatever calling he's placed on your life right now, and he has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for me, something that he wants us to be in Christ. Now, maybe you're not called to be a pastor. Um, Actually, maybe you are. Maybe some of you in here right now, God is calling you deeper into ministry. And praise the Lord for that. And if that's you and you're wrestling with that, man, come talk to us. We would love to help walk through that with you. But that's not everybody, right? We can't all do that. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to survive in the world. We need you all doing your stuff too. But whatever he's called you to do, that's a purpose that he's put in your life to serve him in that role. Maybe he's called you to be a husband or a father or a wife or a mother. Maybe he's called you to be a friend or an employer or a volunteer, or whatever roles he's called you into, he's called you there in order to serve the Lord with that role, with that purpose that he's put on your life. And no matter what our role is, we are called to be a light and to be a voice for Jesus and for his kingdom. So he says, as for you, Timothy, always be, and he gives him some descriptors, be, he says, sober-minded. Now, that's kind of a strange phrase there. It literally means not drunk-minded. Okay? 
And think about what that means. Think about how our minds and how our thinking is diminished when we're under the influence of alcohol, right? Think about what that does to your thought process. You, you think slower, you're foggier, you oftentimes can lose memory, uh, you, you, your thinking can become unreasonable or uncontrolled or uninhibited. He's saying not like that. He says be sober-minded. In other words, be mentally and spiritually alert in my thinking. That I'm always on point in thinking rightly about God and about faith and about life and about my purpose in all of that. And I'm not distracted by these other things that will get my thinking off. So he says, be sober-minded and, he says, endure suffering. Which if, you, if you've been with us through the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy, you've noticed this is kind of a central theme for the entire book, right? Is to endure suffering. Let me give you some review. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, he said, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Oh, sorry, I just put two of those together. Sorry. Share in the gospel, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That's chapter one. Then in chapter two, verse three, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Then in chapter three, he says it again. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They will suffer. And now here in chapter four, he's telling him again, endure suffering. Persevere when things get hard. Don't quit. Persevere with hope. Because we have the power of God with us. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have ultimate victory in Christ Jesus. And so we can persevere. We can endure suffering with hope. And so Paul's encouraging his young son, spiritual son, don't quit. Be sober-minded, endure suffering, and then do the work of an evangelist. Now, when he says evangelist here, he's not thinking like profession, right? Like when we think about the word evangelist today, we oftentimes think about like some TV preacher swindler that's just trying to like rake you out of your money, right? Or the guy who shows up for a couple of days at the church preaching hellfire and brimstone and then rolls out to the next church. And like that's not what Paul's talking about here, okay? Evangelist in this context, what he means here is just simply anyone, anyone who proclaims the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Anyone who tells others about the gospel and about Jesus, that is an evangelist here. He says, do the work of an evangelist. And now the Bible does, in other places, speak about a gift of evangelism, right? That there are certain people that God has gifted with a, a unique and special ability to, to share the gospel with some people, and they get, they get saved, right? They just kind of have an, a, a knack, if you will, or a gift to help people come to know Christ. And that's good, and that's well but that's not, again, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a much broad, he uses a much broader word in the Greek to talk about being an evangelist here that's just anyone who proclaims the gospel and applies it to people's hearts, and that should be every follower of Jesus Christ. Not just pastors, not just Timothy. So he says, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and then he caps it all off, he summarizes it with this statement, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill there means just what it sounds like. It means to carry out completely, right? To leave nothing undone. To 
fully finish it. He says, fulfill specifically your ministry. And as we're defining ministry, it's any God-given purpose in his kingdom. So again, ministry isn't just like a professional like pastor role. It's anything that God's given you, whatever purpose God has put on your life for the gospel, that is your ministry. He says, fulfill it all the way to the end. We all, as followers of Christ, we all have the same big mission purpose, which is to glorify God and make disciples. Right? The Bible is very clear. New Testament believers, that's our, that's our purpose. But each one of us does that in a slightly different way. We each have different gifts. We each have different abilities. We each have different desires and, and, and aptitudes. And so God has created us to fulfill different roles in the greater purpose. And you need to figure out what is my role? What, is, what has God called me to do to help glorify his name and make disciples? What part am I playing in that? That is your ministry, as Paul's defining it here. And in order to fulfill your ministry, you first have to know what your ministry is. So many Christians have all this sideways energy that they're doing that they think or they, they think they're doing for the Lord and they think is spiritual, but they're really just like bouncing around from this thing to that thing to this thing to that thing because they've never really nailed down what is the ministry, what is the role, what is the calling that God has put on your life to make disciples and to bring him glory. I know that we have finally made it to spring. Praise the Lord. And many of us have no desire to go back to winter. But given the temperatures this week, uh, I just thought this video was appropriate and lines up well with Paul's point here. So watch this video clip real quick and then I'll take us through the next. Can you imagine, right? Like, so did, did you see what the problem was there? Did you see the problem? He didn't correctly identify his purpose before he got going to work on the vehicle, right? And he had the wrong car, and all that energy, all that time, all that work was wasted because he didn't know the right place or the right purpose, that he was supposed to be working. Too many Christians today have not correctly identified their purpose and their ministry in Christ. And they're busy. They're busy doing stuff day after day after day, spending their life to achieve something. But my fear is you're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to look back and realize that everything you worked for was really nothing in the eyes of the Lord. You're working to get that degree, to build that business, to make that money, to curate that perfect family, to become famous or to build a following. You have all these different things that you're chasing after, and some of those things aren't necessarily wrong or bad. Right? I have a degree. I have a job. I, I get that. But that's not your primary purpose. 
That's not what God has called you to. He's called you to glorify him and make disciples. How are you doing that? And are you spending as much time and energy pursuing that purpose as you are these other purposes? To fulfill my ministry, I have to know God's purpose and calling on my life, not my own. It's not what I want. It's not how I define it. It's what does God say? Living for God's glory means living for God's purpose for my life. Living for God's glory, which is our goal as Christians, means living for his purpose in my life day in and day out. Fulfill your ministry. Then he goes on. Look at verse 6. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Point number two is this. He says, Finish strong. Finish strong. Paul is laying out his own life here. His own, he's like, Listen, follow my example. Let me show you what it looks like to finish strong. And he says, already, right, meaning, indicating that Paul knows that he is already in his last days. That the end has already begun for him. And he's just looking down the hallway to his, to his coming death and martyrdom. And he's ready. And he says, already I am being poured out as a drink offering. Now this is a really interesting illustration here. And I actually did some extra research on this this week because I wanted to just make sure I understood exactly what Paul was saying here. Paul's using a very familiar illustration for Jews, but not so familiar for us today. So he's, when he talks about a drink offering, this is pointing back to the Old Testament where God uh, prescribed that as part of the, um, the grain offerings or the burnt offerings, at the very end of each of those, which was what they would do every morning and every evening, so every day, they were doing these offerings. The last step was always to pour out the drink offering. Right? So you would do the, the, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and then you would end with pouring the drink offering on the altar. And that's what Paul's talking about here when he says drink offering. And interestingly, Jesus first was the first one to use this as an illustration to symbolize his own blood and his own death on the cross. So when he was first instituting communion for his disciples in Luke 22, verse 20, Here's what Jesus said. He said, And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And he's using this image of a drink offering to symbolize his coming death on the cross. That was the, the final step, right, of his sacrifice and his sacrificial life that he had given to God on the earth was now in his death, the drink offering. Paul then picks up on this, and he first mentions the drink offering in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. So this was a letter he wrote earlier to the church at Philippi. And, and there, he's not speaking of it as already happening, like he is here in 2 Timothy. He's saying, in the future, there's a possibility that he will lose his life, that he will die as a result of persecution for the gospel. And he says, if that happens, it will be like a drink offering. Right, that he'll be poured out like a drink offering, and he's okay with that because he knows that if that's what happens, that's what the Lord has for him. And so now we fast forward to 2 Timothy, and he is at the end of his life. He is in prison. He is looking down the face of martyrdom. And he's saying, now I am already being poured out as a drink offering. But here's the thing. 
Paul didn't just think about death as a sacrifice. Paul thought about all of life as a sacrifice. Romans 12.1, he wrote this. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That all of life is a sacrifice unto the Lord, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul has lived his entire life as a sacrifice to God, and now here in 2 Timothy he says that his death is imminent, and just like Jesus' death, he is being poured out as a drink offering, which is the completion of his sacrificial life unto the Lord. I think it's also interesting he says that he is being poured out. In other words, Paul's not the one doing the pouring. Paul, this isn't Paul choosing to die this way or choosing this to happen this way. This is something external, something outside of himself that's pouring him out. Obviously, that's the Lord that is pouring out Paul's cup as he brings him to the end of his life. And he's using every bit of Paul's life and death to glorify him and to further the gospel. And Paul confirms it even more when he says, the time of my departure has come. That word departure there was like sailing imagery for them back then. So it was like the boat was like departing from one shore so it could then go to the next shore. Right, you see the imagery here? Like today, it's basically, it was like a euphemism for death. So, you know, if they wanted to be less abrasive or less blunt instead of just saying he died, they'd say he departed, right? Like today, we'll say, you know, he passed or they're, they're passing, right? When we want to be a little less, uh, you know, out there with it. Same idea, but even for us today, you know what the word passing, when we use that, it means that we're passing from one life to the next. And Paul's saying, I'm departing from this life, from this shore, to go to the next. I'm being poured out, he says. And then he summarizes his life, he summarizes his ministry with this familiar language that he's used all throughout his letters, this military athletic kind of language with three phrases. He says, I fought the good fight. I've taken the hill. I never retreated. I gave 110% for the gospel. I fought the good fight with maximum effort, he says. And then I finished the race. I didn't give up. I didn't stop short. I ran all the way through the finish line. I finished the race with maximum perseverance. And I kept the faith. And throughout 2 Timothy, we've seen that when he talks about the faith, he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the word of God, right? He says, I've kept it. I've guarded the gospel. I didn't cave into the culture. I held fast to the truth of God's word. I kept the faith with maximum faithfulness. And he's laying out this example so then he can turn to Timothy and then say, you know what? Now it's your turn. This is what I've done. This is how I've ran. This is how I've lived. Now I'm being poured out. And now it's your turn to keep going. To finish strong in your life. Keep the torch of faith moving forward all the way to the end. I think I maybe said this before, but I, I used to run track in middle school and high school, um, even though I do detest running. Um, 
but it was a good way to stay in shape for basketball and other things. And so, but because I wasn't really a great runner and because I didn't really like and didn't really want to be there, I think the coach knew that. Um, and so he gave me the, the 400 meter, um, which if you know anything about track is like the longest, most brutal sprint. Um, and so like you just, it, it's, it's horrible. Okay. Like I, I, I'm, I got some PTSD just thinking about it again. And so, but it's an all-out sprint for one lap. And because it's so long, it's, the hardest part is to keep that endurance up, to keep that speed up, to keep pushing all the way to the end. And I remember running that. I remember my, my, my track coach, Coach Johns, he was on the infield. And he'd be standing there. And he'd, be, he'd be yelling at us as we were running, finish strong, finish strong, all the way through, all the way through, finish strong. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. He's saying, don't stop. I know it's hard. I know you're tired. I know it's not easy. But keep going. Finish strong. Run all the way to the end. All the way through the finish line. Don't let up. Living for God's glory means carrying the gospel all the way to the end. We must not quit. We must not grow weary. We must not give up. He's exhorting all of us. Pick up the torch. Keep going. Finish strong. And then we get to verse 8. It says, Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Point number three is this, focus on future glory. Focus on future glory. This was always Paul's focus. When you look through his letters over and over again, he was always looking forward to the heavenly reward. He always had his eyes set on Christ and on eternity, on what he knew was going to be the day when all of the pain went away and all of the trouble and all the agony was worth it because he had persevered to the end and now he was with Jesus. He says, henceforth is laid up for me. It's ready. It's guaranteed. It's preserved by Jesus himself because I have persevered to the end and I will receive, he says, a crown of righteousness. Now, just to be fair this morning, crown of righteousness, that phrase is a little unclear, okay? Um, we don't know exactly what that means. Um, I, I've said this before in our church, that all of the Bible, all of the Bible is equally true. Not all of the Bible is equally clear, okay? So there are some times where we have to come with a little bit more humility and say, it could be this, it could be that, we're not 100% sure, but this is kind of the main gist. Right? And that's one of these passages right here. And so as I studied this, we do know one thing for sure. The crown he's talking about there, it's an imagery, again, of that, that crown that, that the athlete would receive when they won the race, right? At the end of the Olympics or at the end of the, 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 the uh, marathon or whatever it was, that the, the victor would get the crown, right? This wreath, this made out of leaves usually, and they would put it on his head, and that was the symbol of victory, that they had won, that they had achieved it, that the, the performance had been a success. But the crown of righteousness, 
first question we really have to answer is, whose performance is getting rewarded here? Why are we receiving a crown of righteousness? There's kind of two options. One is that it's actually the reward of receiving Christ's righteousness in full. Okay? So if you're new to Christianity, this might be a new concept for you. But when you come to put your faith in Jesus, you receive what we call imputed righteousness. All right? What that means is that because Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life, and then he died for your sins, uh, um, Spurgeon called that the great exchange, that we give him all of our sin, and he gives us all of his righteousness. Right? And so we are washed completely clean, and God sees us as righteous through the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Even though in this life, we're really not. Right? We still sin, we still mess up, we are not righteous in and of ourselves yet, but we are received as righteous because of Christ's righteousness. And so in this life, I'm not yet there, but God sees me as there. And one day, when I cross over into glory and I'm in the presence of Jesus, I will receive his righteousness in full. And sin will no longer be a problem. Hallelujah. Right? So this crown of righteousness could be when we finally see Jesus and we receive his full righteousness on us. His performance giving us righteousness. The other option is this could be some other type of reward we don't know exactly what, but some other type of reward for our own righteous living on this earth as we're following God in this life. Now, none of us do that perfectly, but if you're saved, this is made possible because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. As the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, he starts to change your heart, he starts to change your motives, he starts to change your life, and you start gradually becoming more and more like Jesus. You start gradually becoming more and more righteous like Christ, not perfectly, but progressively. Right? And so if we're faithful to follow Christ, and as we grow in our righteousness, God sees that, and he, he, he loves that, and he rewards that growth in righteousness. So which one is it? Christ's righteousness in full, or us being rewarded for our righteousness in this life, which one is it? I would say, yes. It's both, because the two are actually very much intertwined, right? The process by which the Holy Spirit is growing me in righteousness now is to fulfill in me one day full righteousness in heaven. And so I believe the two of these things are very much dovetailed together. And whatever reward we get in heaven, bottom line is we're going to get to get it directly from Christ and see him face to face. And all those who are faithful will hear, well done, good and faithful servant from our Lord. And that will be the greatest reward you can ever have. And Paul is rejoicing in that. And he says right here, the Lord will award me on that day, straight from Jesus to me. And that day he's referring to there is judgment day. When Christ returns to the earth and sets up his kingdom and he is the judge over all of mankind and he ushers in eternal kingdom under his reign and those who finish strong, those who keep the faith like Paul did, he says, not just me, not just me getting this reward, but all who love his appearing. See, this is for you too. 
If you're a follower of Christ, if you love Jesus, if you're looking forward to the day when you get to see him and be with him, this is for you too. All who love Jesus, all who are living with their hopes set on him and his return and his future reign will receive the same reward. A crown of righteousness. That's our hope. That's our goal. That's why we keep going. That's why we finish strong. That's why we fulfill our ministry. It's because one day we're going to be in glory with Jesus. But I want you to notice something here. He he calls Jesus here. He says, Jesus the judge. I think he uses that. He, he, you know, Jesus has lots of names, right? He could have used lots of different phrases there. But here's why I think he said Jesus the judge. Think about this. Who loves to see the judge? The guilty or the innocent? Not the guilty, right? Like, they hate to see the judge because that means, like, prison's coming or worse or, like, The innocent are the ones who love to see the judge. They're the ones who are longing to hear the verdict. But here's the problem, friends. None of us are innocent. Not on our own. Not by ourselves. Which is precisely why we need the gospel to make us innocent. All of us are sinners. We've rebelled against God. We have disobeyed his word. We have turned against a holy and righteous God and done our own thing. And because of that rebellion, we deserve wrath and punishment and hell from God. But in his loving grace towards us, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come, to be born as a baby, to live a perfect and sinless life, to live a righteous life. And then to go to the cross and sacrifice that for you and me. To pay for our sin. He literally stood in our place. He substituted himself for us and he took the punishment and the wrath and the death that we deserved. He put it on himself and he died in our place. And then three days later he rose back to life. Proving that he was God. Proving that he had conquered sin. He had conquered death. And offering everyone who believes in him chance to be made innocent before God. To have all of your sins washed away, to have all of your debt wiped clean, and for you to be seen as innocent before the holy God of the universe. Only Jesus' perfect sacrifice can do that. He's the only one who can cleanse us. He's the only one who can make us innocent before the Lord. And so I want to ask today, like, are, are you there? If you stood before the judge right here, right now, would you be innocent before God? Have you put all of your trust and all of your hope and all of your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation? And would you be declared innocent because of him? not, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you, I want to force you, if I could, to trust in Jesus today. Change the verdict. 
Change the verdict over your life by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Because all who believe are made innocent and can then look forward to seeing the judge. That one day we will see the one who paid our price and he will declare us free and innocent and welcome us into the kingdom. Because he will usher us into future glory. He will usher us into eternity with God. I don't know about you, but I cannot wait for that glorious day. Living for God's glory is fueled by my guarantee of future glory with him. Living for God's glory, continuing on in this life, not giving up, is fueled by my guarantee that one day I will have future glory with him. That's what keeps us going. That's why I said to fulfill my ministry and finish strong, I must focus on future glory. That is our hope. That is our joy. That is the only thing that keeps us going in this crazy world and in these difficult days is that one day it's all going to end and we're going to be with Jesus. But the only way we can persevere, the only way we can finish strong is to keep our eyes on him and on the glory that we will share with him one day. That's our motivation. That is the ultimate prize that helps us go all the way to the end. Fulfill your ministry because we are bound for glory with Jesus Christ. Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, God. We thank you for your presence with us again this morning, God. You, we sang earlier, Lord, you are so faithful to just come and just to meet us here every single week. God, we are so blessed. Lord, thank you for your power. Thank you for the power of the gospel that saves us and changes us and makes us into the image of your son. Thank you, Lord, that you are empowering us to keep the faith, to finish the race. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of our eternal home with you. And Lord, we pray this morning, God, that you would help us. Help us keep going. Help us keep serving. Help us keep speaking the truth for your mission and for your kingdom. Lord, all of our hope is on you. And we can't wait to see and experience the fullness of your glory for all eternity. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ.